the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forevermore. Amen. Well, a very warm welcome and a beautiful evening to all of you. My, my name is Bishop Murray. I'd like to say g'day to all of you and a very good evening. And it's always good to see you guys. My beloveds, very quickly we're going to go into this topic. I won't be able to finish it tonight because firstly we're starting a bit late. Sorry about that. Secondly, it is a long topic. And for those who have checked the Facebook, it was the title of tonight was The Holy Baptism. So we're going to be talking about the Holy Baptism, what it really means. And um, is it foundational or is it just um, after I believe in Jesus, then I receive the Holy Baptism? Or is it a must whether you accept it or not? It's a must. Can I baptize a child or do I need to be mature enough? Then I choose whether I receive it or not. Well, okay, let's go. Well, in Genesis, I'm going to take you all the way back to the start of the Old Testament, the Holy Bible. In Genesis 1 2, it says, The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Genesis 1 2. In the creation story, in the biblical um, story of the creation, at the beginning, God, Elohim, or Aluhim in Hebrew, Aluhim means Trinitarian God, three in one, the Holy Trinity. So Aluhim created the heavens and the earth, and the earth says it was dark, it was void, it was formless, and water was covering the entire earth, and it was dark. In Genesis 1, 9, 10, we, I'll continue reading. It says, Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. God ordered all the waters that was covering the earth. He said, water, I want you to go on one side, because I want the dry land to surface up. So he sent the waters on one side, and he called them oceans or seas, and he brought up that dry land that was covered by water. And when he saw that, he said, that is good. Now, let us see where this picture is really identical in the New Testament. So what is this water? What is this land surfacing up? What is this all about in Genesis chapter 1? What is God the Almighty trying to convey to us that is going to take place in the end of times when he sends his only begotten son to this world to save us all. Matthew 3, 
verses 16 to 17 answers Genesis 1. When he had been baptized, i.e. Jesus of Nazareth, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Matthew 3, 16 to 17. Jesus coming out of the waters. Genesis 1, the land coming out of the waters. And Matthew 3, Jesus, the new land coming out of the waters. So what is Genesis 1 talking about? Baptism. That earth that came out of the waters in Genesis 1 was condemned because Adam's breaking God's law. In Genesis 3.18, God said to Adam, because you broke my word, the land is condemned and it will bring forth thorns and brayers. Thorns and brayers. Two kind of thorns. But there is a new land coming out of the waters in the New Testament that is blameless, that is holy, pure, not condemned, doesn't have thorns and brayers. It has graces and gifts of the Almighty God to you if you accept and embrace this new land that just came out of the waters of the Jordan River 2,000 years ago and a bit. Let's look at Genesis chapter 8. By the way, we're going to go through a lot of biblical verses. Genesis chapter 8, 10 to 11. And he waited Noah. You know, the ark of Noah, the story of Noah, the great flood. And he waited, here meaning Noah, and he waited another seven days. And again, he sent the dove out from the, from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. In Matthew 3.16, and it says, And behold, second line, And behold, the heavens were opened to him, Jesus, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. A Spirit of God descending like a dove and resting on Jesus. Noah, Genesis chapter 8, the dove brought back an olive leaf in its mouth or in her mouth. There was an olive leaf. That means that the dove rested on an olive tree in order for the dove to plug an olive leaf. So the dove resting on an olive tree and the Spirit of God, like a dove, again, resting on Jesus, the true olive tree. Now what is with this olive tree? It's a huge topic. I'm trying to be as simple as possible. There's a lot of deep theology here. The olive tree, my beloved, it is 
365 days a year, throughout the year and throughout its entire life, it is always a green tree. Always green. Now, what does green symbolize? Life. Life. L-I-F-E. What does a dry branch symbolize? Death. When you see a tree that is absolutely dry, nothing on it, you say, this tree is dead. So dry represents death. Green represents life. It's alive. It's given leaves. It's given fruits. There is life in this tree. Now, biblically speaking, what is death and what is life? The Holy Bible said, after Adam breaking God's law, said, the wage of sin is death. The wage of sin is death. Then what is green? Life. So if death came through sin, then life came through holiness. Jesus is olive tree, green throughout the year, i.e. He is without a sin. He is blameless. He is pure. He is holy. His holiness, when you receive it in the holy baptism, will give you eternal life. But Adam's sin will give you eternal death. Dry, dead branch, green, alive branch, olive. This dove rested on the olive tree. And the dove here is the Spirit of God. By the way, in Genesis 8, to cut this short, Noah sent a crow. You know, when the great flood came, all those humans and animals that were outside the ark, they all drowned and died. And when this carcass, after a little while, gets filled with water, floats to the surface, and after a few days, starts to decay and starts to give a stinking, ugly smell. When this crow was sent by Noah, the crow went never to come back. He didn't come back. The first time when Noah sent the dove, the dove came back empty-handed. And he waited, verse 10, and he waited yet another seven days. So the first time when he sent the dove, came back empty-handed, he held on to the dove for seven days, and he sent it the second time, brought back an olive leaf. But the crow, the first time when he sent the crow to go and suss out the land to see if the water has receded, the crow went, never came back. You know why? Because when the crow went out, he saw all these carcasses floating on the waters. Stinking smell, absolute ugly. But the crow here represents Satan. Satan loves stink. Satan loves filth. So when he saw this 
dead cemetery floating on the waters, he said, yeah, I hit the jackpot. This is what I love, stinking sin. The sins of the world are like a dead carcass. And the smell of that dead carcass, i.e. the sins, make me fly high. This is my territory. I love it when people live in sin. So this is where I belong. But the dove went back empty-handed because the dove is the Spirit of God. God hates sin. There is no place for God's Spirit to rest in a place that is unclean. But the second time he sent the dove, the water had receded and this olive tree, out of all the trees, the dove rested on the olive out of all the trees. Because that olive tree was an illustration, symbolic illustration of what's going to take place 4,000 years later after the time of Noah. The true olive tree was going to come out of the waters. The waters was going to recede. And the true olive tree was going to come out and this olive tree is called Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove and a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You know why? Because God says that all humanity broke my word. All humanity were like a dead carcass floating on the surface of the, of the seas. But the only one that is perfect, the only one that is holy, the only one that has never done a mistake, never knew a mistake, never broke my word, is the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus of Nazareth, the living olive tree throughout his life and eternities to come. This is the one I'm well pleased in. Because I, God, only rest in a place that is pure and holy. And there is no one holy and pure except the perfect man, perfect God, Christ, the Messiah. Jesus came to establish his kingdom. Jesus came to establish his kingdom. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Matthew 13, 44. And in John 19, 34, it says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. Jesus purchases the field with his own life on the cross. Why? Because he came to establish his kingdom on earth. Now, what is his kingdom called? The kingdom of heaven. Now, there is two kingdoms in this life on earth. One is called the kingdom of the world, 
and the other one is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of the world is ruled by this by Satan. And by the way, guys, from experience, from experience, Satan is not a myth or an idea or a thought in your head. Satan is a real thing. He exists, he is spirit, and he is very powerful. But when he comes to Jesus, he is a little mouse. No human on the face of this planet that crushed the head of Satan, the old serpent, except Jesus of Nazareth. The only human being that crushed Satan and stripped him from all his powers was Jesus of Nazareth. Every other human being Satan overcame. He won. But with Jesus, he failed and lost the battle. So, the kingdom of the world is under Satan's control. The kingdom of heaven where Jesus came to establish it on earth is under the control of the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Baptism, my beloved, is the gateway that brings you from the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of heaven. Baptism is the gateway that makes you enter out of the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of heaven. The holy baptism. Why? Because for God to rest in me, His Spirit, the Dove, for God's Spirit to rest in me, I have to be pure. I have to be without a blemish. I have to be perfect without no mistakes. Is there any human that can lift his or her hand up and say, I've never made a mistake? No one. But there's one that can. Jesus, the perfect man, perfect God. He's the only one that can say, I am without a blemish. That's why God was pleased in His Son. His Spirit rested on Jesus because He found the perfect place for His rest. One guy without a sin. So to enter into God's kingdom, you have to be without a blemish because God does not rest or does not be where there is stink, carcasses, sin. Can't rest there. He only rests where there is purity, holiness. Well, the only one that fits that criteria is Jesus. So, how can I enter God's kingdom when I put on Jesus? When I dress up in Jesus Christ and hide in the perfect Lamb of God. Now Jesus came to establish His kingdom and He did it by His precious blood. A soldier pierced His side and blood and water came out. He purchased the field. Field meaning the whole world. So Jesus purchased everything from Satan and the price 
was his own life. Satan asked for his life to release the world, i.e. us. Jesus said, no problems, I'll do it. He died for me and you to bring us back from the kingdom of the world under the rulings of Satan, being slaves to him, to Jesus Christ, freedom, being called the sons of the Almighty God. Luke 3.16 John answered, John the Baptist, John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jiz, jiz. Psalm 45.13 Look how the Holy Bible is one unit. If you're noticing, I've, I've intentionally did that. I'm bringing verses from New Testament and Old Testament and all over the place. But they match perfectly. They match perfectly. Psalm 45.13 The royal daughter is all glorious within the palace. Her clothing is woven with gold. Her clothing is woven with gold. John the Baptist says, The one who is coming after me he is greater than I am, than me. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, what is fire got to do with gold? The only way, you know, when they dig up these gold mines. That gold was always underground, but nobody had ever noticed that. And we walked on this gold mine for centuries and centuries. We never knew that we were walking on treasure. Because why we didn't notice that treasure? Because it was covered by dirt, by mud, by filth. But when do we realize there is a treasure? When we dig up the ground and clean up that dirt, we find these gold nuggets, rocks of gold, but they are not pure. They're not clean when we dig them up. How do we purify that gold nugget? We put it in an inferno, a high temperature of heat, fire. He will baptize you with fire so when you put that gold nugget in fire it melts all the bad substances that are worth worth nothing uh, you through that fire all the bad substances they get washed away that gold nugget becomes liquid pure gold they put it in a block and they make gold blocks and when you bring that gold out of the fire it is priceless because it is so expensive and precious before I stepped on it and I didn't give one penny about it but now I am fighting to grab it and get it what happened fire purified it fire gave it 
priceless tag on it. Well, we are like that gold nugget. Well, let's come, Mr. Simon, Andrew, Philip, uh, Nathanael, James, and all the disciples of the Lord Jesus. Before Jesus choosing them, they were like that gold nugget hidden underground. Who cared about them? They were just little fishermen. I don't care whether they exist or not. They meant nothing to me. Who cares? But when Jesus chose them, purified them with his Holy Spirit fire, they became priceless gold. Aha! The whole world now bow before Simon Peter and Andrew and Matthew and Luke and Jono and everyone else. Wow! They're priceless. There are churches, cathedrals, the biggest basilica in the world and the most expensive one, mind you, is St. Peter's Basilica in Vatican City. Simon Peter, come here. What did you give up for Jesus? Ah, too much. Like what? I gave up my boat worth three bucks. It was rotting away, made out of wood. And I gave up my profession. Big deal. Anyone can fish. There's plenty of fish wherever you go. What else? What else do you expect? That's too much. Well, Simon, one of the endless gifts that Christ has given you in return is a basilica in Vatican City worth billions of dollars. Billions, not millions, billions. What do you say now, Simon? Uh, sorry, I shouldn't have opened my mouth. I thought I gave Jesus a lot of things, but when I saw what Jesus has given me back, I was too ashamed to really even look up and face Him. What happened to you, Simon Peter? Well, His Holy Spirit baptized me with fire, brought me out of the inferno of the holy baptism, pure gold, priceless. How priceless, Simon Peter? Well, Jesus said that I will sit on the throne and I will judge the twelve tribes of Israel. I will judge people. He has given me to judge people. How does the gold become purified? Fire. How do we become without a blemish, without a stain, without dirt? Holy baptism that we received, my beloved, purifies us. Purifies us. Make us pure gold in the kingdom that is all gold. Pure. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So, how do I put on the temple of God that is pure so that God can dwell in me and rest in me when I baptize into Christ? So what is baptism? Foundational 
to be called the Son of God. What makes God your daddy? Baptism. How do I do that? When I baptize, I am actually putting on the Messiah himself, Christ. That is the only way to put on the Christ. It is not when I believe in him and call him and say, come into my life, come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Now I am born into Christ. No. That is a renewal of the relationship with Jesus. When I call him, I should be calling him every day to come into my life and into my heart. It's the renewal of relationship and the bond. But how do I become a member in the family of the Almighty God to be called his child is when I put on the Messiah. How do I do that? Baptism is the only way. So what is baptism? One of the seven sacraments of the true church of Jesus Christ. It is foundational. It is not optional. Whether you like it or not, to be God's son, to belong to Christ, you must baptize. It's not an option, my beloved. It's not an option. Galatians 3.27 For you who have been baptized into Christ have put on the Christ. Okay. The only way to put on the Christ is baptism. And when I put on the Christ, what happens? I get delivered from the kingdom of the world and saved from the control of Satan and brought into the kingdom of heaven with Jesus established on earth on the cross on Calvary. And I come under the control of the Messiah. But am I really walking under the banner of the Messiah as a Christian? Well, that's another question. Anyway, let's go forward. 1 Corinthians, that's St. Paul. St. Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. I'll have to read it because, and I'll stop at this. It's a long topic. I'll stop at this. Listen carefully. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, St. Paul, as a wise master builder, referring to himself, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. So how do you become wise? When you lay the good foundations. And another builds on it. I laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That means if you want to build, there's only one foundation that has already been laid for you and you can't replace that foundation and that foundation is the only one, Jesus of Nazareth. But Jesus is the foundation. However, when you come to build, what do you want to build on this foundation? Let's see. 12, verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it. 
because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Saint Paul, if you want to know what Saint Paul's epistles are, they are the spine of the four Gospels. Putting it very simply. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is Jesus Christ. The epistles of Saint Paul from the Romans to the Hebrews and the other disciples' epistles are the backbone of this figure, of this body. Saint Paul plays an orchestra in the spiritual sense, an orchestra. He's one of the greatest theologians the world had ever and will ever see. Unbelievable, this guy. Unbelievable. Now, what do you make out of this? He said, I've laid the foundation. That means I have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior for me. He is the foundation. But someone else will come back to build. Because when you lay the foundation, then you'll start putting the walls up, windows, doors, the roof, and everything else, and the furniture for the house to be called a house. You need to build. So he says, what do you want to build on this foundation called Jesus? You want to build gold? You want to build silver? You want to build precious stones? You want to build wood, hay, and straw? Tiny little grass. Because whatever you build, it's your, you're free. But guess what? At the end, everything will be tested by fire. What is he saying? Well, God gave me the freedom of choice. Some Christians misunderstand when we say baptism is foundational. They think that when we say you must be baptized, otherwise you cannot be saved, they say, well, baptism doesn't save me. Yes, I know, but baptism is the only way to be the child of God. If you don't get baptized, you are a slave. God is a stranger to you because God will never rest except on Jesus. And how do I accept Jesus? I get baptized into Christ. I put on the Christ. Are you with me? Good. So now, I have to be baptized to be in the kingdom of heaven, to be the, the child of God. But, after receiving the baptism foundation, I need to build on this foundation. To build on it, God respects my freedom of choice. Respects my freedom of choice. Some will come and choose to build gold. Some will come and choose to build silver. Some will come and choose to build precious stones, but some will come and choose to build wood, hay, and grass. You chose, but there is the judgment day coming, and it will be tested by fire. Well, let's see what St. Paul is saying here. When I come 
and expose gold to fire, it becomes more expensive. Yeah? Nugget? When I come and expose silver to fire, it becomes more expensive. Pure. When I come and expose precious stones to fire, they become more bright and illuminative. But let me see, when I expose wood, hay, and grass to fire, guess what? They'll burn to the ground and become gone, finished. Not a trace. That's why some Christians baptized will make it, some won't. Because some chose to be gold and some chose freely to be hay. Fire tests, it is not God's fault, but God is fire. I chose to be hay. When I get exposed to His fire on judgment, I'll burn. But if I have chosen to build gold, i.e., I have chosen to be good to Jesus. I have chosen to do all the right things for Jesus Christ. I'm not doing what the world is doing. Because everything the world does is hay. And it's not hay that I might. No, it's hay like that green stuff. When you expose fire to it, it just burns and disappears. So what the world does at the end is going to evaporate. Well, let me see. I'll give you an example. Some people think that if I become rich, wealthy, that's it. I've made it. But my beloved, the world, treasure, and wealth is a hay on judgment day. Because what are you going to gain from what you gain from this world? I came to this world empty-handed. I will leave it empty-handed. Do you think a million bucks in the account is going to save you? Do you think a big mansion overlooking the harbor, driving a, a Ferrari, is this what life is all about? All this is nothing but grass. When it gets exposed to the fire, when the spirit leaves the body, and they say, see you later, then what am I going to do with all this wealth and all this great treasure and positions that I've gained for myself? Nothing. It'll do absolutely nothing. It's a hay. It's gone. Finito. But blessed are those who have built gold on the foundation. I saw love wherever I went. I tried my best to do all the good things in life. I was nice to people. I was good to my family, to my brother and sister, to my relatives, to my friends, to my work colleagues. I was good to Marmari. Doesn't matter if Marmari was not good to me, I'll kill you. Doesn't matter if he wasn't good, but I always did my best to be good. Because I want to build gold because I care about the end result. 
I don't want to be burned with Jesus when I get to stand in his presence in the end. I want to be more expensive when I stand in his presence, so I want to build gold while I can. Do the good things in life. Do the good things in life. The holy baptism is only taken once and once only. It's very sad that some churches, when you go to them, they re-baptize you again because they say where you come from it was not acceptable. If you are a Catholic or an Orthodox, your baptism is acceptable. But any other, and I'm not mentioning names, is not acceptable. Because biblically speaking, they do not understand the meaning of baptism. Biblically speaking. I'm not against them, but I need to see what my Jesus says in the Bible. So the only way that I become a child of God is I need to receive the holy baptism. You know when I said earlier that God ordered the waters to go on one side and the, and the land to come up? Okay. Now when that land came up, Adam and all of us brought God's word. So the land was condemned. And God, the Lord God said, it's going to bring thorns and braise. Two kind of thorns. Thorns and braise. But we saw the new land coming up in Matthew 3 out of the Jordan River, out of the water again. But this land is perfect amondo, no blemish, no condemnation, no sin, no thorns, no braise. But this pure land came to take the thorns and the braise from me and you. And I'll cover on that more when we talk about another sacrament, the Holy Eucharist, next time. It's amazing, the Holy Eucharist. You think you're drinking wine and, and bread? Get out of my sight, me. Anyway, thorns and braise. Now, what is the story of these thorns and braise? Jesus came, the new land, to free me from the thorns and the braise. Two thorns. What is a thorn? Is a, is a brush. Brush. Is a, is a shrub. <laughs> I'm getting old. Is a shrub. A plantation, shrub, still doesn't move. That's a thorn. What is a prayer? A prayer is something that comes and clings onto you and it's thousands of little thorns. Glues on your clothes. Very hard to unplug. Very hard. Plenty of them. So what is a thorn? Is a little plantation, still doesn't move. A prayer comes chasing you up. Well, there are two sins that we face in our life. No more, no less. Two sins. One is thorn and one is bread. A thorn, I have to walk to it and step on it and say, ouch. And a bread comes to me and clings onto me. And then I say, ouch. And these are the two sins. No greater, no less. One sin comes to me, and one sin I go to it. Hmm. 
The Lord Jesus called, oh no, I'm running out of time. He called it the thief and the robber. I'll elaborate on it next time. But one sin comes to me and one sin I go to it. One is a thief and one is a robber. What is the difference between the thief and the robber? Well, actually they both steal. There's something in common. They both steal. But with a difference. The thief comes to your house and robs you. The robber, you go to him and robs you. Uh-huh. There was a parable in Luke 12. There was a man coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jesus said. And while he was walking down to Jericho, robbers came and bashed him up. Not thieves. The Bible is very accurate. He said robbers came and bashed him up. No thieves. Why? Because this guy walked to them. So what is the robber? Thorn. What is the thief? Prayer. One sin comes to my doorstep and robs me, and the other one I walk to it and robs me. Well, the sin starts with a thought. The thought that comes into this house and robs me, and when it robs me, I sit in my car and walk to the robber and strip me off. I'm sitting at home, reading a book, and all of a sudden, I saw five monkeys, I hit the jackpot, Star City Casino. I'm sitting at home. And I see this, wang, 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 $100,000, and the manager comes, and the whole people, congratulations, and the big check, I'm a, I'm a, I'm rich, 100,000 bucks. And I'm sitting reading a nice book at home. I went along with this thought, thief, prayers, and without knowing, because I went along, I see myself playing pokies in Sarstidi Casino, robber, thorns. I didn't win the jackpot, stripped me right out. I went out like a choo-choo train, choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-cho
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you.